This week's episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 16th of August 2023 at home in Wicklow and it is largely a discussion of comedies and morality and the the place of morality in comedies and as my stepping off point I discuss in quite a bit of detail Jennifer Lawrence's current uh, sex comedy No Hard Feelings and I compare it or contra- compare it to or contrast it with Wes Anderson's Asteroid City another comedy that's out at the moment um, two movies I watched recently um, and it just made me think about whether or not morality should feature in 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 a, a comic movie so that is pretty much mostly what i'm talking about today so if you've seen those movies i think you'll get something out of this if um you like jennifer lawrence if you like wes anderson if you're interested in um in movies you'll definitely enjoy this i also have time for some quick thoughts on the Irish and Australian women's football teams um, and how they travelled in the Women's World Cup which is about to come to a conclusion uh, next weekend Um, and that's kind of it so morality movies personal codes author directors movie aesthetics um, and the idea of where we find where we find goodness or why we, where you know where we go to feel to feel or have affirmed or confirmed that we are good people um as i say at the end of the episode i don't think it's sex comedies okay that's what's coming up um i hope you enjoy what you hear i'll see you around the corner cheers change my mind leaving the dream behind Keep my Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out You're very welcome If you're a frequent listener welcome back If it's only the second time you're listening definitely welcome back and if it's your first time to listen thanks so much thanks for clicking on the link that brought you here i wonder what brought you here but now that you are here uh welcome and i i hope you enjoy what what comes next and what comes next is a mystery to both of us because i don't know where i'm going and we'll just have to uh go on this journey together um if you're new to this what i do here on the clear out podcast is explore life on a very personal level and i try to lean into vulnerability openness honesty authenticity and i trust that it will be of use and I sometimes refer to psychology, philosophy, politics, 
I sometimes jump off something that's happening in society. I frequently refer to movies and even discuss certain movies at length. Um, I talk about the world of martial arts sometimes. But everything in aggregate contributes to something akin to the examined life. And I am a believer in that self-examination, not from a narcissistic point of view or from an assumption that examining the self will be endlessly fascinating, but rather from the assumption that to understand oneself and know oneself is um, a recipe for an improved life, a recipe for greater wellness in one's life. And that's that's what I do here on this particular platform. So if you think that's something you are drawn to, if you think that's something that might be of use to you, if you're curious to hear how I do that, and maybe intuitively have a sense of uh, the the relatability of that, then um, yeah, there's a good, there's a good chance you'll um, find a space here for yourself. Okay, so that definition changes, but um, it's always an approximation of that, and um, yeah, as ever, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Now, I had been contemplating a few different things to talk about this week. Um, I know I wanted to discuss credibility, but I can't remember what started that idea or what planted that idea in my head. So I'm probably not going to talk about that today. Um, I was also considering just reading some things that I've written in the past. Um, I was revisiting an old blog post from almost exactly 10 years ago um, about storytelling and the relationship to storytelling and identity and home and belonging. And I thought, well, that might be of some interest, seeing as it was 10 years ago. And then I thought, well, I'll, and I'll read a story I'd written after that because it was a post about storytelling. Um, and I was looking at that last night and looking at some other things I'd written um, on the uh, the sort of birthplace of the podcast, which was my website of the same name, The Clear Out, where I wrote think pieces about emotional and psychological well-being. And there is something about the voice I wrote in, my writing voice, so to speak, uh, that when I look back and read those pieces, I don't always love. And maybe that was self-deprecation, not reading that well. Um, maybe it's just that my writing voice has evolved and I don't really like what it was. Or certainly I know the writing voice I aspire to have um, would be quite different now, I think. Um, because when I think about writing now, I 
I want it to be all meat, no fat. Um, I want it to be lean and to the point and on point, even if that may be a point that goes on and on and on. Um, so yeah, I I just found myself going, uh, I don't know if I want to revisit this. I don't know if I want to share this in public, even though it was in the public domain, of course, because it was on my website. Um, and in the short story I was considering reading, it was kind of dark. <laughs> and I thought, oh, um, because I, I have had that, I have had that tendency in some of my writing of short stories to go to darkish places. Um, I'm interested in that. And one of my theories about telling stories and writing stories um, as expressed in that uh, blog post 10 years ago was that it's uh, an attempt to reveal ourselves to ourselves, an attempt to make sense of ourselves and who we are and where we are in the world. Um, and when I read the when I read the short story, I was like, "What exactly am I trying to tap into here?" Um, but yeah, so <laughs> I'm going to spare you those those particular ordeals and shift somewhere else i may i may revisit that uh, idea another time but um yeah i'm not that enthusiastic about it at the moment so i'm gonna i'm gonna let that slide for now um so yeah i'm gonna talk about something else and i'll come to that shortly uh but first, have you been watching the Women's World Cup? The Women's World Cup has been on for a few weeks now. Has it been on for a month already in Australia and New Zealand? The Irish women, uh, unfortunately, did not make it out of their group. Um, I enjoyed watching them. Uh, I really like that team. I've spoken about them before. Um, I love the way they go about their business. I think they're, um, yeah really an impressive outfit I think we're just missing a bit of quality and hopefully with the exposure this tournament has given the women's game we're going to see uh, more talent coming through because that's what uh, that's what the exposure does that's what seeing these tournaments does and hopefully more young girls are going to go yeah I want to do that um, so my interest in, in the Irish girls had to end when they exited the competition um, over a week ago but as I'm married to an Australian uh, I was able to keep an eye on the Matildas the Australian women's team and unfortunately their interest in the tournament ended this morning I was working so I wasn't able to watch it but I was following it on my phone they were playing England in the, the semi-final of the World Cup um, but alas, they did not make it, and it does seem unbalanced that they were they were pretty much outplayed by the English. The English executed a really good game plan, and it seemed like they bullied Australia off the pitch, and they scored three goals, and Australia only scored one. So 
that's pretty simple in the end so australia and spain for the uh for the final at the weekend um yeah one thing my wife was commenting on was um just how much she enjoys the way the the women just get on with it uh when they've been tackled or end up on the ground there just doesn't seem to be the same culture of histrionics and posturing and malingering and um what's the uh what's the word i'm trying to uh, to think of uh you can get booked for it in the men's game um oh my goodness my brain is is uh, i'm just a bit tired um fabricating uh sin <laughs> faking it putting on an injury faking a bad tackle what the hell my brain is sorry my vocabulary has abandoned me that doesn't seem to exist in the women's game they're not doing that kind of stuff and you know to 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 go back to what i'm not going to end up talking about like that idea of credibility um you see those female players taking those tackles getting knocked to the ground and they're just getting up and getting on with it come on let's play football we're here to play football let's keep going let's get that ball back into play and uh it's refreshing it is so refreshing it's so refreshing to see that you just go yes please yes please more of this can we see this in the men's game can the men stop carrying on can they stop putting it on can they stop trying to get the uh their opponents sent off or booked can they just remove that cynicism from their from their football um now i know you, you know the argument is well it's naive it's naive to think they won't do that um and if they don't do it you're gonna you're going to be um uh outmaneuvered um in in terms of the cynical strategies you'll be outmaneuvered and you're going to lose by virtue of being naive and thinking you can play clean with clean good in you know well-intentioned hearts um but yeah sometimes that aspect of the the men's game it's it's really exasperating and um yeah i it it, it it doesn't it doesn't really it, it doesn't it you know it, it detracts from the credibility of the, the the men's game and for uh non-partisan watchers from casual for casual watchers i think it, it puts them off it puts them off and you have to think as well you know if you're you know if you have a son um you know if you think young boys are watching football and think oh yeah that's how you play that's how you carry on and that's part of the game and i see my my heroes do that i see the guys i love to watch it's you know playing i see my team you know do that every week and they're professionals and they're up the top of the game and they're making multiple hundreds of thousands a week in salary that's obviously the way to do it uh and then you ask yourself well what's a better model what is the better behavior to be taking in and internalizing and um kind of pathologizing and you'd have to say the women's game in terms of how they conduct themselves um really you go yeah 
it's 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 a much better it's a much better example of of, of sportsmanship um and they just emerge with greater integrity and yes credibility even if um the pace of the game is slightly below the pace of the male game um but i don't know i've I've been enjoying watching it i must say anyway there you go Uh, i meant to give a shout out to the the irish women a couple of weeks ago and i just um it kept slipping my mind but not tonight after after the fact so thanks to the irish girls and thanks to the australian girls for the the entertainment uh, that they've they've provided in this household so what i want to talk about today um and it's coming from a funny place and it might stay in that funny place and that's funny in a literal sense as well as the more figurative sense um because i watched a couple of comedies recently and one of them in particular got me thinking about the the journey in comedies and in certain kinds of comedies um and how the journey leads to a sort of a um, a moralistic ending and it just got me thinking about this whole idea which has come up before when talking about cancel culture and trying to separate the the person from the art when the person is controversial but the art is still um very worthy and yes credible um should we cast aspersions on the art if we don't like who has produced it um you know if you think of somebody like woody allen and the controversy that's followed him in recent years um you know you think about anything that harvey weinstein was attached to by a miramax and all his bad behavior um bad behavior sounds a bit too weak doesn't it but but again you know i'm skirting around the edges of of woke culture here and i you know in what i do here on the on the podcast i'm not trying to to moralize particularly um and in a way that's what i want to talk about today is the the value of that the questionable value of of moralizing um and who who should <laughs> who should moralize if anyone and where this has come from is i recently watched uh the new comedy the movie no hard feelings with jennifer lawrence and you've heard me speak i did an episode last year on feminists feminists on screen like strong women on screen and that's kind of the, the the rhetorical question was like you know, what does a feminist look like and amongst other actresses i did speak about jennifer lawrence um and i like i'm a fan of jennifer lawrence i like her i like her energy i like her earthiness i like you know i like how she looks i just like what she brings to the screen i like what she brings to her characters i find myself attracted to her um and attracted to the kind of the 
kind of roles that she plays and you know her you know her filmography is is a bit patchy it's a little bit checkered um but this latest movie um of which she was a producer is 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 been called it's been called uh, a sex comedy a a raunchy sex comedy and it seemed from the outside a rather peculiar choice at this stage of her career i mean jennifer lawrence is a, an oscar winner and she's done some pretty high-end serious projects um darren aronofsky's mother comes to mind um perhaps silver linings playbook for which she won her oscar she had another david o russell movie after that two more actually american hustle which i don't love joy which i haven't seen she did the uh the science fiction sort of romance mystery passengers i didn't wasn't able to watch all of that i I got a bit bored with um chris pratt um but she's oh, oh and then her real um kind of standout look at me performance which kind of really when all eyes turned to her was when she did um the film winter's bone uh which is a very gritty effective thriller and i thought she was excellent in that so in any case the point i'm trying to make it and of course she did all the hungers hunger the hungers <laughs> have you seen the hungers games the hunger games films as uh, katniss everdeen the the heroine the protagonist who drives those movies uh, i didn't watch all of them i did enjoy the first one i enjoyed the world that was created the sort of very sort of you know fascistic nasty there's a real dark edge to those movies um and i yeah i I just wasn't sufficiently interested to watch the rest of the movies in the in the the series is it a trilogy is it a quadrilogy i don't know but i know my wife watched all of them she enjoyed them but again i thought she was very good in those there's just do you know what she has she has a toughness and there is i think there is a sort of a there's a sexiness with that toughness um that isn't overtly look at me i'm comfortable being sexual although that was that was a relevant part of her characterization in silver linings playbook definitely relevant in red sparrow very nasty uh nasty sort of cold war-esque spy thriller um in which i thought she was really good as well i think that's um maybe a an underappreciated uh movie but I, I thought it was very effective and it's just got a a very nasty um just a very nasty current running through the whole you know the entire movie nastiness all around and she is um yeah i think she she she's she's very convincing and compelling as the the sort of the fly in the web of um of a lot of men in that movie um yeah worth checking out if um you like something with a pretty bitter taste so when she comes along in this movie no hard feelings it's like oh okay so basically the fundamental i mean you'll, you'll know this if you've seen the trailer 
but it's a very simple idea um jennifer lawrence plays a woman in her early 30s who is uh employed by a very wealthy couple to seduce their their son who's about to head off to to college to university and they just think he needs more world experience and if he has sex he'll just become a bit more worldly and maybe come out of his shell a bit and jennifer lawrence needs a car she's an uber driver that's one of the ways she makes money her car was repossessed and so there the wealthy couple's offer is well look we have this car we'll give you the car seduce our son the car is yours and the the movie is basically um how she tries to achieve that objective and how things get complicated when she starts to feel a bit kind of compromised morally compromised about the deal and she realized she likes this young man who she has to seduce and he is played by i'm probably gonna know is it andrew andrew barth feldman is that his name i think it is so one of his first movie roles i believe um but he did have a year on broadway in the the musical uh dear evan hansen um which i I believe was a very successful broadway show is it still going but i think he was playing the lead in that so like this is not an untalented performer and one of the highlights of the movie for me um is this really nice scene where he and Jennifer Lawrence are out on a date and they're sort of reliving um, the prom that neither of them ever had, that neither of them attended. And so he, he hires like a stretch limo and they go to this restaurant and she knows he plays a bit of music. So she cajoles him into playing something at the piano uh, in the restaurant when the resident pianist takes a break. And he he does this really lovely version of man eater by hall and oats and it's he's he's really good and he just plays it as in he acts it he acts his nervousness and then his kind of growing confidence really well and he plays beautifully on the piano and he sings really well and jennifer lawrence is beguiled but also clearly uh, somewhat um, confronted by the lyrics of the song, um, which in an earlier scene, you know, she 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 pointed out to him that it's it's not about a, like an alien or a monster who eats men. It's um, you know something else, and her character is characterized as a serial monogamist um, and someone who's kind of casually um jilting her lovers and leaving them heartbroken because she just doesn't want to commit um and that's all fine and there are some great set pieces and there are some very funny moments but the overall trajectory of the movie um and you know stop listening now if you plan to see it and you don't want the movie spoiled i'll give you a beat there's a beat that was your time to go I'm just going to bump on from this. So just, you know, fast forward five minutes. Um, the overall trajectory of 
the of the movie is to I mean to fundamentally sort of redeem and mature the Jennifer Lawrence character um, and for her and the the Andrew Barth Feldman character I hope I've got that guy's name right for her and the Andrew Barth Feldman character to achieve this really great platonic relationship um, and you know grand whatever you know whatever but I just found like that you know that that the way the movie moved further and further away from the comedy and then leaned into this sort of um sincere sweetness um or this sweet sincerity uh, both are applicable it just became less interesting um and I think it's hard it's hard to walk that line it's hard to walk that line where you you get the laughs but you have something that's kind of quite believable um and that's what I, I found myself reflecting on it's like okay so what is the ultimate objective here why can't why can't the Jennifer Lawrence character remain dissolute why can she not remain sort of uninterested in growing up why can't she remain as as she was does she have to go on a journey is that an important part is that an important aspect of this narrative do we need to see her go oh you know maybe i should do this with my life um i mean i recall in judd apatow's knocked up which is like what that must be 15 years old now uh where seth rogan and Catherine heigl isn't it where they have a one night stand she gets pregnant he's been a total kind of slacker weed smoking bro and that doesn't work for her she's a very successful like tv executive and his immaturity comes up against her maturity and ultimately he goes no i need to step up i need to read the baby books i need to get my shit together i need to get a job um and you know you know in a way judd apatow that's been his stock and trade like his movies you know you take great comedy premise and instead of giving us like an 80 or 90 minute movie you know you get like a two hour and 15 or a two hour and 20 movie that you get all that you know you get a lot of great comedy but you also get this um bro love um male maturation journey played for great sincerity and played you know and played for what like like is that the moral journey you know men have to grow up and step up and become mature i mean i've no issue with that but i question its validity or its usefulness or its entertainment value in in a comedy um so you know in my opinion like those judd apatow comedies they just got weighted down with that aspect of his storytelling and his desire to explore male maturation and male friendship and male um you know brotherly love um 
and I mean, what does that make them? Does it make them unsuccessful? Or do they need their own genre? Are they dramedies? Um, comic dramas? Um, they're definitely not comic dramas. I think they're, you know, yeah, they're, they're dramedies. Um, but do, I suppose my question is, do we need, do we need, you know, does, does our art, I mean, like specifically, do comedies need to be moral? And you'd have to say, God, no. That that surely isn't the end point of of a great comedy. And I think I mentioned a couple of weeks, a couple of episodes ago, that my daughter and I rewatched Some Like It Hot a few weeks ago. And there's certainly no morality tale attached to that. It's a comedy played you know, from start to finish as comedy. Um, and it's, you know, the characters are pursuing their their appetites. Uh, I mean, the pursuit of sex is a huge part of Some Like It Hot. The pursuit of Marilyn Monroe is a huge part of Some Like It Hot. Um, her desirability uh, as, a, as a sex object is a huge part of Some Like It Hot. But the pursuit of Jack Lemon um, in drag, the pursuit of Jack Lemon as a woman, is also a huge part of Some Like It Hot. And it it just keeps that, it walks that line so well. And the, the you know, the, the gags keep coming. Um, and so that is a far more successful comedy than any of these other ones I've mentioned uh, so far. And I don't know if anybody needs to be redeemed at the end of a comedy um are they counter impulses you know uh, like and, and what is and, and so there that i'm thinking this like i mean if, if a comedy makes me laugh and entertains me and amuses me and you know makes me laugh at the you know the absurdity of of people or how far um a character can go to get what they want or how far they can lean into who they are and when that's played with good writing and played by great comic actors it's it's a thing of joy um but if a comedy is framed inside a morality tale i think it's already losing like you know right from you know right from the start right from the get-go um there was a funny thing in that no hard feelings as well (laughs) funny as in hmm strange and not successful and again spoiler alert this is really minor but jennifer lawrence has two friends a couple who are expecting a baby and twice she tries to present them with a gift which is a mobile to suspend over the baby's cot and she's decorated with um little surfboards as the the objects for the you know for the baby to look at whenever they're born and the gag that we're supposed to think is so amusing is that the couple think the mobile is horrific or horrendous or awful and i'm looking at it going that mobile looks perfectly fine and i think a baby would be very happy to play with that mobile (laughs) I'm like, why is this funny? 
you know, it's not funny that the 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 the, the pregnant couple are are not being you know, I don't know they don't they're not they're not a lot of fun or they don't know what they're looking at. Anyway, whatever. Um, so another, I mean, I don't have anything else to say about that movie. I just I I think yeah. Does. Like, what are the benefits of seeing Jennifer Lawrence's character mature? Like, what's like what's the payoff there? What's the payoff to see her, you know, go, oh, I'm not going to be that person anymore. I'm going to be this person. And now I'm a good person. And I'm nice to this young man. And we're going to be friends. Um, I mean, it's still quite an unlikely friendship, ultimately, because of the age difference. But, um, yeah. I, I'm just questioning that. Um, so, but you know, because it's a very particular type of comedy. So, I mean, there are other comedies, and another one I watched recently was uh, Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. And Asteroid City is not raucous. It's not raunchy. It's not. Uh, it's not a. It doesn't hit you in the belly. I mean, and I'd make that distinction between you know a belly laugh and a brain laugh. And there are belly laughs. There are sort of body laughs to be had in No Hard Feelings. Asteroid City, as you would expect with Wes Anderson, it's that you know these are these are brain laughs. It's a bit more intellectual. It's a bit more highbrow. Uh, and again, depending on your sense of humor, I mean, maybe you are someone who finds Wes Anderson's movie movies uh, real kind of uh, rib clutchers uh, when you're holding yourself together because you're you're laughing so hard. I mean, I find them. I like Wes Anderson's movies. I realize I've seen them all except uh, his very very first one, um, Bottle Rocket. Um, but I remember seeing Rushmore when it came out and really enjoying that. I remember seeing the Royal Tenenbaums, which I watched recently again, and really enjoying that. Um, his animated ones, Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, The Isle of Dogs, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Moonrise Kingdom. Um, I mean, I, I've enjoyed all of them, really. Uh, the Darjeeling Limited, um, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, the, the what's the, the underwater one? Um I've gone blank. Something Bizu, isn't it? Steve Bizu? Bizu? Zizu? <laughs> Bill Murray's in it. Um the Brazilian singer Seu George. Seu George is in it as well, doing David Bowie covers, which were very cool. Steve, the, the the Life Aquatic. Oh, anyway, I've I'm sorry, I've gone blank on that one. Anyway, look if you if you know Wes Anderson movies, you know what I'm talking about. Um they're good movies and he's got this kind of his repertoire his, his repertory company of actors who crop up again and again in his movies but asteroid city for me i mean i'll, I'll rewatch it at some point it it's like a wes anderson movie taken to you know the absolute end point of wes anderson-ness and squeezing out or ironing out 
anything that is more um, messy, more identifiably human and believable and relatable um, and making everything just very, very tight and lean and cerebral um, and arch and knowing and meta um, and if you compare that to like some of the, the jousting between the young like the 18 year old Jason Schwartzman and Bill Murray in Rushmore which I found hilarious at the time and you know Gene Hackman's absolutely yeah hilarious and gorgeous performance in the Royal Tenenbaums because he really is the, the, the you know the, the the motor of that movie his kind of irascibility um, his immorality um, but again just a great comic performance um, that is very believable and you go yeah I, I believe this guy exists and I watch Asteroid City um, which is I guess nearly 20 years later or over 20 years later and I don't know if I believed any of those characters and you know, and that's not necessarily the point and again leaning into the, the meta-ness of Wes Anderson Asteroid City has a very complicated structure um, which involves a, 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 a televised like you know in watching the movie it's a televised version of a play that's being filmed or it's a filmed version of a televised version of a play and you're jumping behind scenes and backstage into the writer's room and back to the main setting of Asteroid City which is this tiny little what stopping point outpost beside the nuclear testing sites in the the you know the, the whatever 40s 50s um in you know an american kind of desert scape um and you've just got all these beautifully dressed beautiful look you know beautiful looking actors um shot beautifully um but everything is so self-contained and so held and so poised and again so arch there's just a a cocked eyebrow to the whole thing and I found myself wondering and again if you know anything about Wes Anderson you know how well designed and how beautiful looking his films are and they've, they've become more and more so uh, as he's continued along his career and I this time I just found myself going is Wes Anderson is he a movie maker or is he just an aesthetician like it's all about the aesthetics and what it what, what it looks like and you know I'm being a bit disingenuous saying that because obviously he's a movie maker obviously he has a very distinctive style he has a very distinctive voice and maybe for me sometimes it's like the mood you're in when you're watching it um or the French Dispatch that was his one from last year another kind of quirky one I think someone's made 
you know not, not, someone's made the point um, or made the, the comment that you know Wes Anderson is just uh, you know, a New Yorker short story on celluloid um, there's a certain highbrow literati voice um, an aesthetic that is just that it's sort of a New Yorker pastiche and to reconnect this to connect this back to you know how I was discussing no hard feelings they aren't morality tales that's not what Wes Anderson is interested in and to me that immediately recommends it more than no hard feelings even though more hard feelings gave me more of a laugh in its individual moments and in particular set pieces and no hard feelings also had moments that were quite moving um oh and sorry just a special shout out to matthew broderick in no hard feelings as the father of the the young man involved yeah matthew broderick is uh, i think he's an un an unsung comic I, I don't want to say genius it's too much it's it's too hyperbolic but man he's good he's good he just does something there's something about his his kind of i don't know his 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 crumpled survivalist uh instinct inside a very um a, a very sort of soft body and soft soul that is i i find very very funny um and he I, I find him yeah i thought he was hilarious in no hard feelings and even his name was hilarious the character's name i won't spoil it for you you should go and look yeah look look it up <laughs> if you're not going to go and see it um but yeah so wes anderson there's no there's no moralizing there you know take these characters as you find them take these characters in this world as you find them um and all all I'm saying is that if I compare Asteroid City to the Royal Tenenbaums, I kind of believed the characters in the Royal Tenenbaums and I didn't really believe the characters in Asteroid City. They didn't feel real to me. They felt too far into pastiche and too far into that detached, emotionless affect Um and I just find found myself a little bit irritated by it. I'm going. I don't know if I want to keep spending time with these people because I'm. They're not. I'm not going on a journey with them. And yeah, cleverness. I mean, I, I was going to say cleverness for its own sake is never interesting. Um, but again, that's probably a bit disingenuous. I mean, I know Wes Anderson knows exactly what he's doing and. He, you know the references are there for a reason um and the worlds he's creating and the worlds he refers to it's not accidental i don't think there's again and that's a hallmark of a good movie director nothing is accidental um yeah of course there can be bad movie makers and they <laughs> maybe nothing they did was accidental and it's just bad movie making and bad storytelling bad decision making I mean that's possible so just being um, decisive and intentional doesn't actually necessarily result in a quality experience 
But in Wes Anderson's case, it does. Um, but, you know, you, you could do worse than to see those two movies and compare them and have a look at this sort of thesis uh, of mine. Like, let's remove the morality and keep the comedy. Um, yeah. I mean, the... I, I recently rewatched Noah Baumbach's The Squid and the Whale, which is one of his early movies. Um, did I speak about this? I can't remember if I spoke about this. Uh, Laura Linney and Jeff Daniels play the parents of, of two sons who are breaking up in, I guess, 70s New York. Both parents are authors. Her her star is rising his is on the wane he each son sort of allies themselves with uh, either of the parents and um, it's Jesse Jesse Eisenberg isn't it um, who plays the who plays the older son and he allies himself with Jeff Daniels and um, a brilliant performance by Jesse Eisenberg. I mean, he is so, so good um, at playing complicated, uh, extremely self-conscious, um, maybe neurotic uh, young men of, of, of a certain stripe and he is particularly good in the squid and the whale as someone who is uh you, you know has been shaped and molded by his father and had his you know his impressions of the world formed by his father and his father is pretentious and a bit of a blowhard um and Jesse Eisenberg he just captures the sort of the aping and the mimicry of that so well um, and the way he drops his knowledge that is pure posturing and has no nothing real underneath it other than this is an opinion that I heard my father express and now I'm re-expressing it and this gives me credibility this gives me depth um and jesse eisenberg can play those characters so so well um and i mean again i'm not sure what that translates into now as you know as he's you know a much older actor i'm trying to think what the last thing i saw him in uh was i'm not sure i've seen him in anything in recent years um obviously the social network but that's 10 years old isn't it maybe more 13 that's a great movie and he's great in it and entirely unlikable um playing you know basically playing uh yeah mark zuckerberg um maybe um maybe somebody felt more human <laughs> than Mark Zuckerberg comes across uh, in real life but um, I was going to say that those characters Jeff Daniels and Jesse Eisenberg in The Squid and the Whale like they are characters who are like Wes Anderson characters 
except they were being played you know as real people and I think that's something that maybe Wes Anderson has moved further and further away from um, that's his choice he's you know he can do that um, but in a way I think you know my taste is I enjoy those characters when I feel I believe them I believe this is happening I believe you know this these are real world people um, I find that more compelling and there's greater capacity for humour but then if you take a movie like Anchorman <laughs> to jump very much in the other direction um, the Will Ferrell movie again we're going back quite a while Anchorman is uh, well it certainly was I haven't watched it in a few years is great entertainment and pure pure comedy um, and just you know goofy and silly and maybe built on the on the, on the back of, of Will Ferrell's strengths as a comic performer uh, and that's someone for whom um, more is always more um, that might not be how you feel as the uh, as, as 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 the audience member, um, but yeah, it's funny. I was I was listening to uh, Sean Fennessy and Amanda Dobbins on the Big Picture podcast, and they were talking about no hard feelings and about Jennifer Lawrence's career in general, um, and I I won't really repeat what they were saying because you, know, you can go and listen to that yourself. Um, I think it's. If you like movies, it's a it's a podcast that's always worth listening to. Um, but they were talking about like sex comedies in general uh, in that conversation, and they referred to Wedding Crashers, which was uh, again I think a very successful comedy with Owen Wilson and uh, Vince Vaughn as two ne'er do wells who would yeah you know inveigle their way into into weddings uh in order to sleep with women and they just you know let themselves in and they just had their different shticks um and it's very funny um but i on that on the big picture the the, the you know the guys were kind of looking askance at wedding crashers and fundamentally suggesting that it was a little bit off and um, they were taking a position of um, kind of moralizing um, about wedding crashers and I just kind of I, I you know that always makes me I kind of it just stops me in my tracks a bit like oh really can I not just be what it was and let it be what it was and enjoy it for what it was do we have to again try and bring our our um, our sensibilities to bear and draw this connection between entertainment and morality our entertainment can be entertaining but it must remain moral I reject that I reject that wholeheartedly I go no stop 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 you know let art provoke let it cross the line let it transgress and we can make our own minds up because we're bloody grown-ups and we can decide eh, that's a bit dodgy or that's not my taste or we can allow ourselves be provoked we can be provoked 
and let that be what it is and we can be critical and we can go no it's just provocation or it's just a bit tasteless or it's a bit tacky or it's a bit sexist or it's a bit puerile um and you know particularly if we stay in the area of comedies if you stay in the area of sex comedies um and then you gotta ask yourself well who's this for is this for me am i am, am i the target audience i suspect i'm not i suspect i'm not um i think historically sex comedies were directed at you know young men teenagers and guys in their early 20s um and you know okay let it be what it is um I mean, as my, you know, my daughter tells me when I'm sometimes passing by the TV and I see a cartoon she's watching or a movie that I don't particularly approve of because I think this is not a good movie. My daughter will turn around to me and say, it's not for you. <laughs> and uh, that is, that is relevant. That is relevant to the subjective experience um yeah okay so the only other thing i'd add to this this uh particular topic is to ask the question do we want do we want to feel good and I'm not talking about the the sensual aspect of that I'm not talking about like hedonistic experience that feels good I want to do that I mean do we want to feel like we are good people and is that is that why people impose morality in you know impose it onto their art or onto their storytelling um is there is there an assumption that people want to consume that and be reassured that that character is a good person now and i approve of that person and i leave here feeling good about myself because that's what my choice would be in life or that's what I would choose for that person um, I mean that's not very interesting is it that's not that interesting don't we want to see difference on screen and in our in our stories um, don't we want to live the vicarious experience of of the forbidden of the transgressive don't we want to see these things play out on screen because we can't we can't do them in real life i mean isn't that why we have an appetite for violence on screen if that's your thing isn't that why we have an appetite for for criminals for murderers for um uh adulterers unfaithful partners um isn't that why we have an appetite for extreme characters 
um isn't that why we have an appetite for beautiful people on screen because <laughs> because maybe we don't see enough of them in real life um i mean it has its place it has its place um and you know you've heard me before you've heard me before and relatively recently i did i did an episode on on richard gear and his um particular charms um just a few weeks ago but you heard me on that episode talk about um the 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 movie critic david thompson of whom i'm a huge fan and you know, I've read I've read quite a bit of David Thompson's work and quite a bit of his writing um, and thinking about movies and his fundamental position seems to be, um, you know, movies are you know it, it's it's a sexual experience and we're voyeurs and we you know we sit in a dark room and go on a, a journey of of the id and we live out our fantasies uh, vicariously in that darkened room where we cannot be seen where we are the watchers um and i mean that you know that's not that's not his single premise but it is a core aspect of uh his his thinking and his kind of movie theory um and he is a great watcher of movies and has brilliant thoughts and perceptions and observations about movies uh, i highly recommend his book the big screen um if if there was only one david thompson book to get um well two really there's i mean again i'm repeating myself i know but have you seen where he discusses page a movie a thousand movies um and leaves you in no doubt about his opinion uh, of their of their merit good or bad that's a great great book to dip into but then there's his kind of comprehensive history of the cinema um the big screen which is brilliant 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 stuff as well and i'm telling you i've no doubt that david thompson would um share my opinion about um the the appropriateness of morality in in comedies anyway you know um like in other movies maybe morality has more of a more of a more relevance um but yeah ask yourself that question you know what do you want to feel when you go to the movies like are the movies you know you know is that the place or is that experience of watching a movie is that where you go to feel better about yourself is that where you go to be reassured that you are a good person um i mean i i don't know that's that's not what i watch movies for i must say um and i think uh yeah like to me that movie no hard feelings jennifer lawrence that kind of moral ending really undermined the whole thing and just wasn't very interesting at all anyway there you are okay look i'm recording this late so i'm going to leave it there and yeah i may return you know i will return to movies again um 
and uh, yeah as always I'll be uh, trying to draw connections to um, personal philosophy or psychology or um, yeah today it was sort of morality in that specific context um, your morality I think is um, it's something to work out for yourself and you know do you trust what you've been handed by the world you've been born into do you trust the authority figures and institutions in your life do they represent something moral or are they failing do they fail so where where do you find your morality like where do we you know where do you locate it is it in is it in faith is it in is it in religion is it in is it in government is it in institutions um can you find it within and what does that mean anyway what does it mean to be moral um what code are you living by uh i yeah i mean i i always come back to um my belief is you you've got to work it out for yourself you've got to work it out for yourself you'll be given plenty we're given plenty as you know as we grow as we as we come up in life as we negotiate ourselves and negotiate the different stepping stones to to adulthood and beyond um we're given a lot of help we're given a lot of guidance we're given a lot of examples we're given a lot of advice but ultimately we've got to work it out for ourselves um and we you know we really have to work it out when we experience pushback when you experience our own crises of of faith um and um yeah i, I don't think sex com- <laughs> i don't think sex comedies are where the answers will be found um no but you never know you never know inspiration and recognition and reflection they they come from they can come from strange places they can come from unexpected places um and i like i, I like to to think there's a there's a usefulness in being open to that um and being open and i mean and that i suppose is cultivating a sort of a sensitivity and uh being observant and responsive um and going yeah like i i think you know the final thing i'll say about that you know no hurt feelings like that take that scene i i liked um the the the, the man-eater scene i mean i liked it because it captured something about the romance of getting to know somebody and being surprised by them and being opened up by them and there was something again like in the way jennifer lawrence played it um that was really lovely and um i think that's what you want now that doesn't really relate to morality um it reveals my interest in romance and what that does for me and that tells me i mean i can make that something moral and go 
you know, can you be, is it possible to be romantic if you're cynical about life and cynical about people's intentions and cynical about the the inevitable demise of your personal idealism as the scales are lifted from your eyes by the the trials and tribulations of life um see for me i don't know if that i don't know is is that is that a moral position to challenge that and go no there's a better life to be lived if you can take joy from life if you can keep your belief in romance alive if you're open to being moved um i am a big believer in that um is that a morality I don't know if it's a morality, but it's a, it's definitely a position. <laughs> okay, listen, my position now is to uh, to get off this mic and um, take myself to to bed. In fact, so I will love you and leave you. Um, I hope you found this diverting and of some interest. And I will be back next week with something else you can throw me some love on social media the links will be there wherever you're listening to this instagram youtube facebook twitter now known as x um and if you enjoy what you hear you can support this show financially by becoming a patron of the show and you can use the patreon link that's patreon.com forward slash the clear out and then you can just throw a, a few bob a week to support this independent podcast um, and help me keep it going and sustain it. And it's a uh, it's a vote of confidence anyway and a vindication for what I try to do here. And it would be very welcome. But if you can't do that, a comment, a share, a recommend, a rating, a like, that all helps and is very much appreciated by me. Okay, that's it. Take it easy, mind yourselves, and I will talk to you next week. All the best. Bye.